0: Welcome to the Beeson Podcast, coming to you from Beeson Divinity School on the campus of Samford University in Birmingham, Alabama. Now your host, Timothy
1: George. Welcome to today's Beeson Podcast. We're in the midst of Holy Week, and I have a very special guest I want to talk with about Holy Week and what it means. He's a friend, a colleague of mine here at Beeson Divinity School, Dr. Carl Beckwith. Dr. Beckwith is Associate Professor of History and Doctrine at Beeson Divinity School, and I'm so glad he could give us this time to talk about Holy Week, the cross, and what that means to all of us. Welcome, Dr. Beckwith. Thank you for having me. For our many listeners who may not know you because you're fairly new to us here at Beeson, uh, say a little bit about your own background, your educational uh, work, and uh, what's kind of brought you to this point in your life, your involvement in the church. Well, I teach uh, history and doctrine. Here at Beeson Divinity School.
0: For me, that means teaching our patristic and medieval course, our course on the Reformation. And then I teach a number of upper-level theology seminars. Augustine, uh, I'll be doing Athanasius in the fall. I've done Luther. uh, I've done Calvin as well. My my background is in theology and church history. I started out at St. Olaf College. Uh, where the, uh, the choir is our football team and, and beautiful <laughs> savior is our fight song. Uh, from there I, I went on to, uh, to study in Ireland at Trinity College in Dublin, uh, focusing on early church history. Uh, and then I went to, uh, Yale Divinity School and looked at patristic theology and then on to Notre Dame for my PhD on Hilary of Poitiers and the doctrine of the Trinity in the, uh, early church. I'm a Lutheran, a member of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, an ordained pastor. I'm the pastor of Hope Lutheran Church here in Birmingham, a small confessional Lutheran church uh, where we aim to uh, preach Christ crucified, mm-hmm. uh, gathering together, studying the scriptures, and rejoicing in the good news of the salvation that we have in Christ.
1: Could you say a little bit about Holy Week itself? We're uh, in the midst of it. Uh, What is Holy Week? Why do Christians observe it? How important is it for us?
0: I think Holy Week is central to the Christian life and central to understanding that which informs our life, that which gives us meaning and identity as we go forth and live in a world, a fallen world, a world where we confront sin and suffering. Uh, Holy Week for me, it, it really, it's hard to, to locate, I think, where Holy Week begins. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one way in which you see that is in, on the, the Gospel appointed for Palm Sunday. The traditional gospel lesson is from Matthew 21, Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, and the crowds then gathering together and and singing praises, Hosanna to the Son of David, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And what is striking about that gospel lesson for those who follow the historic lectionary as we do at, at Hope Lutheran is that is the same gospel lesson ...appointed for the first Sunday in Advent. It is the only gospel lesson repeated in the lectionary. Well, that that does something quite striking for you, I think, as you begin your entrance into Holy Week. You're immediately reminded of Advent. And so there's a sense in which Advent might be the beginning of Holy Week. And let me explain what I mean by that. It is in Advent, in the beginning of Advent, that you come together to celebrate the coming of Christ. But the question in Advent is which coming of Christ are we celebrating? Mm. Is it the second coming of Christ? Is it that first coming, the coming of the, the Christ child, born of the Virgin Mary, the very
1: Son of God? some of the readings of advent point both
0: directions don't they they do the uh, the end of the church calendar year is looking at the second coming the beginning of advent is also looking at the second coming and then of course as we gather together every sunday it's christ coming to us in word and sacrament well when you when you link up that first sunday in advent with palm sunday you immediately i think see that the person on the cross, the one there crucified, is the infant in the major, the one that the magi and the shepherds have come to fall Mm -hmm. down and worship. It's there that the very Son of God has entered His creation, and He does that for His people. He does that for you and for me. And so, when we gather on Palm Sunday... The very beginning of Holy Week. We have, I think, in our, if I can use this expression, our our liturgical memory. Mm. We have Advent. We have Christmas. And indeed, we see then that great Christmas gift to us. It's the Christ child who enters now into Jerusalem for that final week of his earthly life, going to the cross, there suffering and dying for our sins, and rising again. And then we have that great Easter celebration. Well, let let me step back then once once more here. And we look at Holy Week. We begin with Palm Sunday. We have in our minds this triumphal entry into Jerusalem. We're immediately reminded of Advent. We're immediately reminded that indeed it is God who must come to us, the one that creates us, must recreate us, must give us that new life. But to have that new life, he has to journey through Holy Week. He has to go to the cross on Good Friday, and along the way, you actually have readings appointed for every day of Holy Week: Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. I think most Christians would be familiar with the Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, uh, Holy Saturday, and then Easter Sunday. Monday, Thursday. You have the celebration of the Lord's Supper. Again, Christ coming to us. He comes to us in His Word. He comes to us in His sacrament. You have this new commandment to go forth and to love one another as I have loved you. And there, I think, we begin to get the key the to understand Holy Week, to understand especially what is going to happen on Good Friday. The context for that is the love of Christ. We go forth and love one another Because he loved us, and as St. John says, he loves us, the one who gave his life for us. That then becomes the context of the love that we see in Holy Week, the love that then shapes and guides our life as we go out into the world. It is one grounded firmly in the cross and the giving of Christ for us. This, again, becomes our reminder on Monday, Thursday, the context of that new commandment for love. And then on Friday, Good Friday, uh, I tell this to my parishioners, I think this is the most difficult day of the church year. Uh, it is one where you gather together. We will gather together on Good Friday. We will read through. Uh, the uh, the passion, as Saint John records it in his gospel, uh, and we will intersperse those readings uh, with verses from uh, "O Sacred Head, Now Wounded," uh, the full "O Sacred Head, Now Wounded" by by Paul Gerhardt, uh, and it's a very difficult day. It's a day where you you come to recognize who it is on the cross suffering and dying for you and this i think becomes the striking thing of good friday that it's the very son of god shedding his blood for you and for me for our sins and it's when you confront that i think mm-hmm. as a christian you begin to learn something that i don't think you fully realized you know the the season of lent is that that period of of penance where we acknowledge and recognize our sins but then on that Good Friday, we begin to see the cost of those sins. We see the great, uh, uh, the, what it means to be a sinner before a holy God, uh, the offense of that sin. That it is such that the most unexpected thing here occurs that it is God Himself in the flesh that must go to the cross and shed His blood. For my sins there 's a sense Luther says that you know when you when you confess your sins and when you recognize yourself as a sinner and when you hear that that blessed good news of the gospel that in Christ Jesus your sins are freely forgiven, that in him your salvation is complete, and yet it 's from that vantage point that you begin to recognize the depth of your sin as an article of faith, mm-hmm. never fully understanding the great depth and offense of that sin against God. And what gives us an indication of that offense is that it's the very Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, that goes to the cross to bear then the wrath of God, to bear the punishment of our sins, and to rise, as St. Paul says on that third day, for our justification. All of that for us. Uh, You know, I think there's a sense, too, that if you're going to gather... On Easter Sunday, if you're going to gather as the people of God, celebrating that great victory over sin, death, and the devil, you have to journey through Holy Week. And you especially need to confront the cross on Good Friday. To skip, I think, from Palm Sunday to Easter Sunday misses something. Uh, and it uh, to our detriment, I think,
1: if we uh, were to do that. I want to talk a little bit in a moment about the cross and the theology of the cross. But first, a couple of historical questions. You're a historical theologian, uh, and a lot of uh, Baptist and free church Christians are beginning to uh, celebrate, observe more of the liturgical year, including Advent, including Lent and Holy Week. Um, and yet there's something strange going on there that a lot of people don't understand in the way in the time in which we celebrate it. Christmas always comes on December the 25th in, in our calendar. I know the East has a January 6th date. But Easter seems to bounce all over the place. Uh, here we are in rather late April and it's Holy Week and Easter. Sometimes it comes in March. Why does Easter move all around the calendar in the springtime?
0: Well, it has to do with different calendars. Uh, it has to do with establishing the date of the Passover according to the Jewish calendar uh, and then trying to match that up with the Roman calendar. Uh, and because those dates change, the Passover date fluctuates in spring, uh, you, uh, you have to adjust the calendar for Easter. And so indeed, as you say, it, it can be late, it can be quite early, uh, and the, uh, the liturgical season, uh, that is forced to adjust, uh, is epiphany. Mm. uh epiphany was the the full epiphany season was celebrated this year which means that easter uh is indeed quite late um, but you have uh as you say you have december 25th in fact uh for those following the uh liturgical calendar they would have celebrated the annunciation on march 25th uh just a few uh short weeks ago those dates are firm; mm-hmm. They remain in the calendar every year. Uh, but Easter is not, and it has to do again with adjusting uh, for the Passover and working then with the, uh, the Jewish calendar, and it will change
1: then every year. One more question from the early church period, and it has to do with the fact that in the early church, uh, baptism almost always took place on Easter Eve, Holy Saturday, on that Easter Vigil. Uh, Why was that the case, and is it a good idea for Christians now to celebrate baptism in connection with with Easter? Well, we think of Lent uh, as a a season
0: of of repentance, uh, a season of... Recognizing our sins and, and evaluating ourselves in light of the Word of God and coming to, to see our total dependence on Christ and the forgiveness we have in Him. But Lent is also a season for catechesis. It is also a time, uh, in which the catechumens, those who have, uh, have enrolled in a sense, uh, their names uh, as candidates for baptism within the church, seeking instruction in the faith, taking them through the catechism. Lent is also a period for bringing them into the church. Uh, so, for example, the, uh, the third Sunday in Lent, the Latin name for that is Ocule Sunday. That is the day in which the catechumens come forward, and it's sort of their first step, In preparing for their baptism on on Holy Saturday, as you say, it is there where they renounce the the ways and the works of the devil. And there they begin to then join in with the Christian community as they continue that march forward. The fourth Sunday in Lent, Laetare Sunday, a Sunday of rejoicing and rejoicing partly because these catechumens are now there with you as they're beginning again or continuing that preparation to join the uh, the Christian community and especially to join in that wonderful Easter celebration. Well, then Holy Saturday, of course, uh, is the vigil. Uh, that uh, Christians hold uh, anticipating that celebration on Easter Sunday. It is there where baptisms then occur so that on that Easter morning all join together in celebrating the resurrection of our Lord. I suppose in some churches, uh, you still have the remnants of that uh, that old tradition in the church. Uh, many uh, churches that uh, use confirmation would uh, have confirmed their confirmands this past Sunday, Palm Sunday. Uh, and that, too, is a way of welcoming them into the community that they prepare now and receive their first uh, Eucharist on, on Easter morning.
1: So it seems to me that this whole season, the holy season that we're in of Lent and Holy Week leading to Easter, is not only a time for personal uh, repentance, coming close to Christ, thinking about the cross and what it means to us, but for the whole church, it's also an opportunity for witness and for evangelism and for inviting others who do not know Jesus Christ to follow him, to embrace the gospel uh, to come to faith in him, to ma- make that invitation. So it is a season of invitation, in a way. I, I want to focus now just a little bit more specifically on the cross itself and the theology of the cross. This phrase, theology of the cross, theologia crucis in Latin, was a favorite phrase of Martin Luther. And it came out particularly in one of the great documents of the early Reformation, uh, when we think about Luther, many of us think about, of course, October the 31st, which is Reformation Day, the posting of the 95 Theses on the castle church door in Wittenberg on October 31st, 1517. Or if we know a little bit more about the Reformation, we might think about uh, the great stance of Luther, the Diet of Worms, Here I stand, so help me God, I can do no other, uh, 1521. In between those two events, though, there occurred a a disputation, a a scholarly theological discussion that took place in the city of Heidelberg. And Luther traveled all the way from Wittenberg to Heidelberg to participate in this, um, this meeting with other theologians and scholars. And he gave a number of theses there about the way of the cross, I want to read a couple of those, and then maybe you could just comment on the theology of the cross and what it meant to Luther and what it means to us today. Uh, this, is, um, this is Thesis uh, 20. In Thesis 20, uh, Luther has already said in Thesis 19 that a person doesn't deserve to be called a theologian who looks upon the invisible things of God as though they were clearly perceptible in those things that have actually happened or been made or created. It sort of seems uh, that, that's a blast a little bit against what we might call a natural theology. And then comes this thesis. This is thesis 20. That person deserves to be called a theologian, however, who comprehends the visible and manifest things of God Through suffering and the cross. What is Luther saying there? Well, the theology of the cross, I I think it's best to
0: understand that there's two dimensions to this. On the one hand, a theology of the cross is a way of thinking through the revelation of God. Thinking through the scriptures and thinking through uh, the way we would articulate that theology. But the theology of the cross also is a way of living the Christian faith. It's also a spirituality that is, as the phrase itself suggests, focused on the cross itself. Well, what does he mean by that? Uh, There's two ways, I think, that people consider God. And as Luther would say, everyone is a theologian. You don't need an advanced degree to be a theologian. Uh, And in fact, Luther might get a little suspicious (laughs) of the advanced degree. Uh, But rather, what Luther means by that is we all have a way of thinking about God, and therefore, we all have a way of living our lives in light of that confession of who God is Well, two ways of thinking about God. One would be uh, to think of God in in rather abstract and exalted terms. Uh, And we're all familiar with with this way of thinking about God. And and it is, in a sense, very biblical. Namely, you know, God is is creator, that God is all-powerful and all-knowing. And we think of God in those grand categories. But herein lies the problem, Luther would say. There's nothing necessarily Christian about that way of thinking about God. And you could imagine a number of people gathered around a table from very different uh, religious persuasions and indeed different religions altogether, affirming that rather general view of God. For Luther... The theologian of the cross must wrestle with the way in which God indeed has revealed himself, and most especially in the way that God has revealed himself that is difficult for us to comprehend. The way in which our own philosophical commitments might, uh, in some sense, uh, get a little uneasy. And namely for Luther, that's recognizing that God is the one who comes to us. And He comes to us in a way least expected. He comes to us as a child born of a virgin. He comes to us for our salvation to bring us life through His death on the cross. He comes to us as the very Son of God and Son of Man who goes to the cross to suffer for our sins and to rise again to give us that new life. It's a way of thinking, this theology of the cross, is a way of seeing that indeed God's power is known in weakness and suffering. Or it is, as St. Paul says, that the wisdom and the power of the cross is known to those who are saved, known to those who recognize their sins and see that indeed it is God who comes to us, but unknown and and indeed foolishness to those who do not know these things, who would say, well, that's is—that's not right for God to do. That's unfitting Mm -hmm. for God. And yet for Luther to be a theologian of the cross is not to be an individual who has all the answers. It's rather to be a person of faith who clings to the very word of God, recognizes that God must come to me, revealing himself for me. And when he does that, the unexpected occurs. Uh, you can think of some some challenging uh, uh, statements in the scriptures that it's the Lord of glory who was crucified, mm-hmm. uh, as St. Paul says, or as St. John uh, puts it, that it is Christ, the very Son of God, who sheds his blood for us. These are things that the human mind wrestles with. How is it? that the Lord of glory could be crucified? How is it that the Son of God could shed His blood for me? And yet indeed, this is what God has done
1: and revealed to us, and this is the very thing that we cling to. So the cross is not just something God has done, though it certainly is that, but it is a window into who God is. It is, indeed. It's it's a window into who God
0: is, and therefore, uh, it's a way in which we come to a right understanding of ourselves. It's a way of, of seeing. uh You know, one thing that uh, the Reformers all share is their commitment to sola scriptura. I think this is a way of getting at this point. Uh, and we would mistake their understanding of sola scriptura if we reduced that merely to a, a formal theological position that says, yes, all that we believe, teach, and confess is based on Scripture. Well, it of course, it meant that, but it meant so much more to the Reformers. It meant that we are entirely dependent upon God to reveal Himself to us, that God must come to us, making Himself known to us, and in the process of making Himself known, allowing us to come to a right understanding of who we are. And that same thing happens on the cross. Yes, indeed, this is for our salvation. This is for our atonement. But it's also in recognizing the great cost of our sin, recognizing the love of God and what that means, that we now go forth in light of the resurrection, in light of that wonderful Easter message. We go forth and live our lives. Luther said uh, Uh, something else that I think is quite pertinent here Uh, and that is he made the comment that if we are he's he's reflecting on his own reformation work this is in the 1530s he sees the different things that he's done and he says not only have we learned how to rightly live but we have learned how to rightly suffer and we've learned how to rightly die and it's in light of knowing how to rightly die and suffer that he has in mind here, the cross and the all-sufficient work of Christ for us that we go forth and live. Another way of putting that is that the good news of Good Friday and Easter is for our eternal salvation, but it is also the very thing that sends us forth into the world, as you say, to give a great witness and testimony of what God has done for us. But it is that which allows us to go forth and suffer rightly in a fallen world to endure the trial and temptation that we continue to face but also to know that indeed as god summons us to our eternal home with him that as we pass through death indeed we do this by faith and we do this knowing what christ has done for us and we then enter in to that eternal abode with christ and the saints and all of that is grounded for luther in the gospel and in the faith that we have where God has come to us
1: Luther's uh, contrast to the theology of the cross is what he calls a theology of glory and you've just been describing some of the aspects of that Uh, could we also say that there is if not exactly in Luther uh, flowing from this Lutheran Reformation insight such a thing as an ecclesiology of the cross contrasted to an ecclesiology of glory and if if that's a valid uh, analogy what would that look like? Well, I, I, I would
0: agree wholeheartedly with that. Uh, an ecclesiology, I'm going to have to take that term, I don't think I've used this, but an ecclesiology of the cross uh, is one pattern, again, on the way that we organize our theology and the way we live our lives. And it is, it is this, that God comes to his people and He delivers His gifts to them. This is what we do as we gather together, recognizing... That it is God who gathers us together. That it really is the great miracle that we see every Sunday morning as we look around and we see that there are sinners gathered to hear that their sins are forgiven, to hear that Christ has given himself for them and that their life is now found in him. So as we, as we are brought together by the Spirit into that worshiping community, into the church, we are fed and nourished with His Word, His Sacrament, God constantly coming to us, filling us with His good gifts, and again sending us forth according to those gifts, guiding us by His Spirit. Uh, it's a way of to contrast that. I would I would say uh, would be those uh, who would think of church not as what God is coming to do for them, but maybe what what it is that they are coming to do, a way of thinking of church, perhaps more along cultural lines, a way of thinking of of it in terms of being satisfied and and, uh, finding this perhaps entertainment or something like this. I I think you you get to this question by asking, uh, and I just uh, recently asked our students this uh, uh, at uh, at Beeson. Uh, We were talking about John Calvin. I think Luther agrees with this entirely. What is the purpose of going to church? On Sunday morning. Uh, And Luther and Calvin. That's a pretty easy question for them. We go to church. To receive the forgiveness of our sins. We go to church. For God to come to us. To give us that forgiveness. And continually do we need that. There's never a day that goes by, this is stealing from Augustine, there's never a day that goes by that we do not need to say the Lord's Prayer. Mm-hmm. We need to know that our sins are forgiven, and indeed that has happened for us, and this is what Christ has brought to us. Well, imagine then, what would a theology of glory or an ecclesiology of glory be? would well, be one really quite easy to describe, one where confession of sins need not take place, one where hearing that great absolution, that our sins are forgiven, become secondary or even unnecessary. Uh, for our great fathers in the faith, that would be an unknown thing to to do on Sunday morning. And, and a number of concerns would be
1: raised for them. I'm talking today with my colleague and friend, Dr. Carl Beckwith, about Holy Week, about the meaning of the cross, Luther's theology of the cross, and how that applies to our own lives today in this very special time of the Christian year. I want to read a quotation now from a, a French scholar, Henri Stroll. I think he was a Lutheran. And he's talking about the Heidelberg Disputation and the theology of the cross. Uh, and he makes this statement that I think applies to the lives of everyone, whether you're a Lutheran or not, who follows Jesus Christ. This is what he says. That God does not remove suffering and immediately make straight the rough places of our lives isn't for Luther a negative reflection either on the extent of God's power or the integrity of God's professed love for us. The absoluteness of that power is revealed in its extraordinary efficaciousness. God's power serves God's love, making itself susceptible to the suffering of creation so as to transform that suffering from within and able always to bring life out of nothingness. Could you comment on that, Dr. Beckwith? Well, I think there's there's probably a lot uh, to be said about uh, a quote like that. Uh,
0: but in when we put that into the context of, of Holy Week, uh, and as we think of the power of God and the love of God, Uh, And especially as we think through the way the scriptures continuously anchor the love of God in the cross and in the redemption that we have in Christ. It's that other great John 3.16 verse, namely 1 John Mm -hmm. 3.16, that the love that we have and the love that we know is one firmly anchored there in the cross. And then when you link that uh, again with St. Paul from 1 Corinthians, uh, that the wisdom and power of God is there seen in the cross. And this is known by those who are saved, which is to say this is known by those who were dead in their sins and who have been brought to new life in Christ. It is there that you see this incredible power of God and this incredible love, this newness of life that God sheds abundantly upon his people, the very people that turn from him in their sins, the very people who aim to be God in their sins, rejecting him entirely. And yet he comes to them and he suffers and dies for them, the very one that gave them life gives them then new life. And as He then brings us to faith by His Spirit, working through His Word, it is from that perspective of faith that we see the love and power of God, and it is from then that perspective of faith that we go forth living our lives, but not misunderstanding those earthly lives that we live, recognizing that indeed, nowhere does Christ suggest to us that we will be free of suffering, and free of pain and free of persecution. Indeed, he says quite the opposite. Uh I, I refer to to the tenth chapter of Saint Matthew's gospel as the worst job description ever given, uh where Christ, you know, is so bold as to tell the disciples that as you go forth and proclaim my name People will despise you and hate you and persecute you. And then as if to relieve that situation, he says, but they'll only take your body, I have your soul. Mm. And that's the Christian life, recognizing that we have the power and love of God, recognizing we have that new life, but also knowing that the journey of life, of this earthly life, is one that will endure suffering and trial, but one that is 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 really flooded with the good news that in Christ we have that eternal life, that gift of eternal life where we will join with the saints singing that great hymn of praise with the angels and the archangels, knowing that our our home is in heaven, knowing that he will summon us. To that eternal rest, uh, and knowing that all of that has been accomplished for us, uh, and that is a point made
1: made quite well in Holy Week. That's a wonderful pastoral word to close this uh, Beeson podcast, because everyone listening, uh, including all of us who are sitting here around the table uh, in this studio. Um, Either suffer uh, in pain, or we know someone who is a loved one, a friend and sometimes these holy seasons of the year can be very difficult as we think about our God and his love for us, and what a wonderful reminder that the cross of Jesus Christ is a triumph over sin, death, and the grave over hell, over everything that comes against us, and that we will have victory through Jesus Christ and his cross. And we celebrate that this this Holy Week, this Good Friday, looking forward to the wonderful triumph that will come to all of us on Easter Sunday. Dr. Beckwith, you mentioned that in your Good Friday service at Hope Lutheran Church, you're going to be reading the text of the Passion Narrative, but also singing some of the verses of one of the great hymns of the Christian faith. It comes from Bernard of Clairvaux, and in the form that you're going to use it from the great Lutheran hymn writer, Paul Gerhardt, O Sacred Head Now Wounded. I wonder if you would close our Beeson podcast just by reading the first and the final verses of this wonderful hymn.
0: O sacred head, now wounded, with grief and shame weighed down, Now scornfully surrounded, With thorns, thine only crown. O sacred head, what glory, what bliss, till now was thine, Yet though despised and gory, I joy to call thee mine. Be thou my consolation, My shield, when I must die. Remind me of thy passion. When my last hour draws nigh, mine eyes shall then behold thee, upon thy cross shall dwell, my heart by faith enfold thee, who dieth thus dies well.
1: Amen. My guest today has been Dr. Carl Beckwith. He is Associate Professor of History and Doctrine here at Beeson Divinity School. Dr. Beckwith, thank you for being with us and for this wonderful conversation. Thank you.